So for ETH, that unbonding period is close to 18 months. For other protocols, it's two to three days. But for Kraken, there was generally no cool off or unbonding period, uh, which is typically applied to most uh, traditional staking models. So I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make is that even within a lot of staking as a service providers, the, the models can look really different for each of these exchanges. So I don't think it's fair to put all staking as a service providers in the same bucket. Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week, we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect within Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Analyst with Fidelity Digital Assets. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, digital assets are speculative and highly volatile and are only for those investors with a high risk tolerance. So let's dive into what's been happening recently. Hey guys, morning. Morning. How are you? Good. It's nice to see you guys. Is everyone recovered from the big game? <laughs> yeah, it's not so hard when your team's not in it. I was just about to say, I think it's, you know, this was an easier morning for New England than, you know, it's been years past. <laughs> no, no wave of flu hitting the office today. Yeah. <laughs> How did you like the, uh, the QR code ads? <laughs> Still scares me. Yeah, I, I feel like there was like a very... Um, very big retro undertone with a lot of the commercials this year, pulling out the heartstrings of, you know, our nostalgic pasts. There were no crypto commercials, right? I, I didn't see one. I didn't see any. And I think we, we wrote a report that said there weren't any this year. Right? Yeah. All right, let's jump in. So last week was, was a really busy week on the news front, um, particularly around, um, you know, I would say regulatory uh, related and adjacent uh, news stories. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and some of the kind of enforcement actions that we saw out of the SEC and some of the other regulators. Um, and then um, that probably will take up the majority of the conversation today. So with that, before we jump in, um, Parth, do you want to just uh, walk us through what you tried last week? Sure. Um, so this is something which I tried last month and it's kind of become a staple part of my uh, DeFi transactions. So uh, so I tried this new browser extension called Fire and, and it is truly Fire, right? So, uh, so when you do any sort of MetaMask transaction, um, it simulates your transaction before you actually execute it. So think about this way. If I am adding liquidity on, uh, on Uniswap or if I'm buying an NFT, Right before I click on sign, I can see that, hey, here are my assets that I'm giving away and here's what I'll get back. So you see two columns in and out and you know exactly what you're signing up for. And so uh, it's funny because I was uh, participating in this NFT drop uh, over uh, on Saturday and I could basically see, hey, this is the X amount of ETH that I'm giving away. And here's the image of the NFT that I'm going to receive. So, so you can see how advanced um, it's become. And so it's just a secure way of using Web3, especially before, right before you hit the sign button. So mm. that's what I tried last week. So like, Parth, you think that's like, does that stay as a standalone service? Or do you think that's like a service that we eventually see just folded into um, like most wallet uh, interfaces? 
I, I expect some big wallet provider to buy them out because I think this should be a pretty standard service before you make a signature. It's kind of like how you do it on a piece of paper as well. Before you sign something, you kind of, you read the documents, like you yeah. read the actual text. And so before you execute a transaction, you should be able to know clearly on what you're signing for, right? And so that's exactly what Fire provides. So I, I see I see more wallets integrating something similar. Yeah, yeah. Are there any risks though associated with using a service like this? Yeah, so you are uh, basically, all the signature requests that are made are collected by uh, the browser extension. So they have that information. And so that's why typically I have a few experimental wallets, which I use. And so I don't really connect Fire to my to my main accounts. Yeah, so, so that's, there's pri- that's pri- basically you know, some privacy trade-offs with exposing your transaction details to a third party. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, I think with that, we can, uh, we can jump into the main discussion today. So, um, Jack, <laughs> will you do the honors of uh, kind of walking us through just to kind of at a high level some of the, uh, some of the activity we saw last week? Yeah, definitely. So there's there's a lot of rumors swirling around, around uh, about U.S. regulators um, taking action or potentially taking action against various crypto companies, many that we're all familiar with if we follow the space. Um, while there could be truth to certain rumors, I think we'll we'll try to stick to just the facts of what we know and what's been reported by legitimate uh, media outlets. And so uh, last week we heard about Kraken the crypto exchange that offers a staking product where you can take your proof of stake assets, give them to Kraken and and they'll earn a yield for you on those assets. Um, And we heard rumors that the SEC uh, was uh, going after Kraken for for creating what they effectively dubbed it as was an, an unregistered securities offering. And that was, I think, like sort of beginning of last week, we heard some of those rumors and, and they turned out to be true because by the end of the week, uh, we we heard that Kraken agreed to a settlement with the SEC regarding this staking product uh, that, of course, the, the SEC said was an unregistered securities offering. So part of the agreement, Kraken agreed to pay the SEC $30 million and to wind down their staking product for U.S. investors. Now, this doesn't affect non-U.S. investors. They'll continue to offer this product um, to non-U.S. citizens in jurisdictions where they operate. Um, As part of the agreement, I think a lot of people were asking, well, if you have staked ETH, which of course is is a big part of of Kraken's uh, staking offering, the largest proof of stake asset, what will happen? And part of that agreement, it appears, is that that ETH will continue to be staked, continue to earn rewards for U.S. customers that have utilized the, the service. And then after the Shanghai upgrade, which allows for withdrawals, the ETH will be withdrawn and and given back to to customers, uh, presumably. And so uh, important to note that the settlement does not mean Kraken admitted or denied the charges of offering an unregistered security. Um, If we look at Ethereum, 7% of ETH staked is staked by Kraken. So certainly after Shanghai, what will happen to that 7% of, of ETH staked is a, a relevant question. Uh, Chairman Gensler put out a tweet uh, and, and in it, uh, he stated, today's actions should make clear to the marketplace that staking as a service providers must register and provide full, fair and truthful disclosure and investor protection. Uh, we saw one of the five SEC commissioners, Hester Pierce, uh, who 
you know, we, we know to be sort of an advocate for uh, a lot of what's going on in crypto or just an advocate for being technology agnostic. Um, and, and she, she said sort of in, in her dissenting letter, the SEC shut down Kraken staking product and counted it as a win for investors. I disagree and therefore dissent. And, and she listed some of the reasons why. Um, she, she sort of cited the difficulty for firms that want to get registered and, and to get regulated to actually go through that process and work with the SEC and regulators. Um, and, and then I think everybody's sort of wondering, okay, this happened. Um, who could be next? Does the SEC go after other firms that offer staking as a service in the United States. Of course, if we look at the the ETH staked chart and, and look at what are the centralized entities in the US that offer products, Coinbase is, is one of them. And if we looked you know, on, online, Brian Armstrong and others, I believe they even posted on Coinbase's blog, uh, sort of vocal about the fact that they think their product is different and that they'd be willing to defend their staking product in court. But certainly a lot of questions to be answered coming out of this this settlement with Kraken. And so Jack, I, I definitely was reading into this um, in as much depth as I could find online. So again, knowing that that we don't have all the information that uh, other parties do, it seems to me that one, one place where we might be able to play is to help educate the difference between different types of staking models. Like what is a custodial staking model versus a non-custodial model? And my, my personal interpretation uh, from what I read on the Kraken settlement was that because Kraken was in custody or holding clients' assets in custody, that's a component of the decision to, to view it as, as a security. I, so I, I saw that uh, there was some text in different reporting that said, uh, if customer assets are uh, held in custody by a centralized entity or then um, pledged to the uh, a blockchain protocol. I think that's a little bit of a, a, a nuance that needs to be called out. So if someone is providing access or control of their crypto to a custodian, that's custodial. If that custodian then chooses to stake in an aggregated way, that's custodial staking. They are in possession of the keys that would control withdrawals of any staking rewards. Whereas if someone were to bond tokens to a protocol using a smart contract and stake that way, if they're self-custodying or maintaining control of their withdrawal keys, I understand that to be non-custodial staking. So yeah. there's, there's definitely different flavors that aren't clearly articulated in the current news cycle, but I'm hoping that will be in time. I guess my understanding is, and again, um, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, that Kraken has offers the the highest amount of flexibility of unstaking. So theoretically, I could stake now and I can unstake in the next two hours. And so when you stake, it generates a yield in the form of uh, rebasing or, 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 or increasing the amount of ETH uh, that's accrued. And uh, some might say that it's actually similar to uh, the, the BlockFi earn accounts that we have seen uh, last year right, where you had earned accounts specifically for retailers. And obviously, they're both really different since the assets on each staking uh, should not ideally be dehypothecated or lent out to some random hedge fund that we saw last year. But typically, when you stake using any service, you have to wait to get your funds back, which is called the unbonding period. 
So for ETH, that unbonding period is close to 18 months. For other protocols, it's two to three days. But for Kraken, there was generally no cool off or unbonding period, uh, which is typically applied to most uh, traditional staking models. So I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make is that even within a lot of staking as a service providers, the, the models can look really different for each of these exchanges. So I don't think it's fair to put all staking as a service providers in the same bucket. That That's really well put, part. So I, I, I guess as we think about this, you have to look at the given um, attributes of various offerings, but treat each one as a unique set of circumstances as opposed to painting with a broad brush. So what do we think? So, so obviously I think there's, there's open questions around the existing kind of staking as a service offerings in the marketplace. You know, Jack, as you pointed out, Coinbase is the one that immediately comes to mind and they've come out pretty strongly and said that they don't feel like their offering is the same as Kraken's and doesn't, you know, necessarily constitute a security. Um, what do we think about the decentralized kind of options or alternatives to the centralized players, right? So I'm thinking Lido, Rocket Pool. Um, like, how does this play out for them? Because I think, like, to Parth's point, there's different structures here. And I would say if you kind of take that even further, even within the decentralized offerings, those work differently as well, right, with what those smart contracts are actually doing. Do we think that, like, does this provide, like, a tailwind temporarily and potentially headwind later? Like, does the SEC go after the, you know, these projects? Like, how does that potentially look? Obviously, we don't we don't have, inf- you know, any s- solid information around that right now. But I'm just thinking, like, down the road as, as we continue to monitor this. Um, yeah, I guess I can take this one. So the good thing about decentralized staking is that you have full transparency. So when you stake with a Kraken or another exchange, do you really know if your ETH is being staked, right? Uh, however, if you look at Rocket Pool or some of these decentralized staking providers, you can track ETH from their wallet into the pool using a block explorer. And so another thing which is, I think, worth pointing out is that even in the press release that SEC came out with, they mentioned that not all the investor assets were staked and some remained in control of Kraken, which was used as a liquidity reserve to honor this unbonding period, which which I just told about, right? So that's not typical to a staking model. So I think when you when you venture into a protocol like Rocket Pool or Lido or Stakewise, you basically know for a fact that, that your ETH is getting staked because uh, there is on-chain activity. That, that's a really good point. And- Every time that we get into these complex topics, I sit there and just think through my own mind again. There is so much importance around having a common taxonomy so people understand the language that you're using. And I, I think that that remains an opportunity for the digital asset industry to, to improve upon. But I, I do think, Parth, when you, when you say that a company is maintaining some type of buffer, they're allowing for this liquidity, that is something that people should know and should want to know. Because then, um, just like you said, if, if you stake on chain through a decentralized protocol, you know that that rule of the transaction is being enforced because you can see the transactions move on the ledger. So um, I still come back to the, the aspiration, I'll call it, of, uh, of having a better taxonomy so that perhaps we can uh, help clarify some of the uh, uncertainty that exists or the the confusion that could be created because 
the same words might have multiple meanings. And, you know, I, I know that uh, Mr. Gensler had a play on words in one of his um, communications around steak. And obviously English can be challenging because multiple words have the same sound, different spellings. I think about in the DeFi space, you can stake to secure a protocol like layer one stake and we're talking about here in Ethereum, or you can stake to a liquidity pool, meaning you provide some liquidity. So same verb, uh, different meaning. So just highlights the need for uh, simpler language. Well, and I think like an area where we've actually seen that happen is with stable coins, right? Because I, I feel like we have pretty good standard taxonomy. Obviously, there's a lot of different stablecoin projects out there, um, but it really boils down into, you know, like two to three buckets, depending on how you look at it. And when you kind of take a step back and you think about, you know, again, particularly in the US, we've seen a lot of activity around kind of the intention to regulate stablecoins, right? And what that might look like. Um, you know, regulators, I think, have made it very clear, okay, they're focused on, you know, U.S. dollar-backed or fiat-backed coins to start and haven't really even started thinking about, um, you know, like algorithmic, for example, and what those projects do, right? So I think if we can get to kind of, Jason, to your point, that standard, you know, framework or taxonomy for the different flavors of staking and how they actually work, I think then you kind of, that kind of sets you up for, okay, well, if you fall in bucket A, this is how it's going to be regulated. If you fall in bucket B, this is what, this, these are the considerations. Um, I think it just kind of brings a little bit of method to the madness um, with how you think about, you know, regulating these things. Jack, I saw that you you were you and I were smiling when Jason was enunciating the word steak, and then, then Ryan <laughs> mentioned different flavors of staking. And I'm like, there are like so, like I can see why one word can be no used pun, for no multiple. pun intended on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I think some of this regulatory enforcement probably brings another uh, another leg to comparing these different protocols. And that's really on decentralization. And so maybe, and there is like sort of some discussion of maybe this pushes ETH to further decentralize even faster because of this regulatory action from a very important regulatory body. So, I mean, we'll see, right? But, it, it, and we were looking at the data part, right? We haven't seen like crazy abnormal flows into Lido and into Rocket Pool as like more decentralized, you know, less easily regulated entities, one would argue. Uh, but I, I think after Shanghai, maybe you do see some shakeup. I mean, almost 12% of ETH staked is staked by Coinbase and almost, I think over 7% is, is staked by Kraken. So that's close to 20% of the market right there that could shift around and, and flow out of centralized entities into different liquid staking providers potentially. But I, like, I wonder, like, do we actually... Do, do... They're not Certainly really not all of it, right? comparable offerings, right? Like I think like in yeah. terms of like even like technical knowledge needed, right? Yep. Like participating in staking through Coinbase or Kraken is like arguably very simple and probably the easiest possible path. When you, when you think about, you know, interfacing with Rocket Pool or Lido, like there's a certain kind of uh, technical expertise required for that, right? That's fair, definitely. But also, and we've talked about this before, is like, Oh, MetaMask now has like a, a pretty easy one-click button. Like it, yeah. it gets to that conversation we always have is like the stuff will will get easier, not harder to do. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, let's talk about the the elephant in the room. Like coin Coinbase is obviously they also have a staking offering. Um, if you compare that against Kraken, uh, Coinbase has close to 1.2 million CB ETH in circulation. And so it is a core part of their business. And so uh and that's why I saw that Brian uh tweeted out and uh, they put Coinbase put out a blog post saying, like, hey, if 
if something happens, we will there will be pushback from our side as well. Yeah. Right. So so Coinbase put out a blog saying uh, staking as a service providers simply use publicly available software and a basic computer uh, to perform validation service. And so they do not perform any sort of managerial efforts. So it's just IT services, not investment services, which I think was pretty powerful. Yeah. Yep. So then right. while we still yeah. have time, related story. another story broke this yeah. weekend uh, regarding regulators. And I guess this was like minutes before kickoff that the Wall Street Journal decided to put the article out. Um, and as if we, you know, we don't have anything to do other than watch crypto markets and crypto news all day. But uh, so, so last night, um, the Wall Street Journal broke a story covering action, regulatory action against Paxos uh, regarding issuing the stablecoin BUSD. And so there's sort of two legs to this that are being reported um, by various media outlets. One is the New York Department of Financial Services, which regulates Paxos issuance of stablecoins, NYDFS, um, directed Paxos to stop issuing BUSD which they issue on Ethereum as an ERC-20. And then we've sort of talked about in the past that Binance, not Paxos, but Binance, then takes a portion of that BUSD and holds it and then issues tokens on Binance Smart Chain. So they peg a a BUSD stablecoin on BSC as well. I believe that's about 30% of the supply of BUSD is held by Binance and then like sort of reissued. on on BSC. But so they they were told to stop issuing BUSD and that they can only basically manage redemptions of the product. So if anybody wants to redeem their their, uh, BUSD for dollars, they're still able to do that, but they're not minting new BUSD. Um, And the NYDFS is alleging that Paxos didn't issue the stablecoin in a quote, safe and sound way. And then in parallel to this, the SEC has reportedly filed a lawsuit against Paxos for issuing BUSD as what they're claiming is an unregistered security. Paxos released a statement this morning saying that they're going to cease their relationship with Binance on BUSD fully by February 2024, which is a year from now. Um, and now, again, another story, another portion of the market. We we had staking enforcement on Kraken, and everyone's asking, does it go beyond just Kraken, or was it just the way that they were doing it? Same thing happening here. Does does this enforcement? I mean, one, we don't have answers to you know, where this enforcement goes. If it's a, a settlement, if if there are you know court battles or, or whatnot, we don't know yet. But also, does it go beyond just BUSD and Paxos? Or is it just specific to what they're doing with this one stablecoin product? So different corners of the market um, being hit by regulators lately. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me here, Jack, I think is, you know, the nuance, right, uh, of some of these offerings and how they're being, they're, they're going to be viewed by the different regulatory bodies, I think. You know, like the, the, you know, NYDFS enforcement is maybe different than what the SEC is looking at Paxos for, right? And so, you know, and, and this kind of overlaps with the staking enforcement as well. 
um, where there's there's going to be this kind of continued argument, particularly on the SEC side, of what is a security versus what is not, right? And I think there are a lot of open questions, particularly with the stablecoin projects, um, you know, which is the Paxos story. Um, are, are these stablecoin securities or are they not, right? And I think it depends on the design of the coin. Um, it depends on, like, some very specific things around the mechanics about how the project works. And so I think it's largely going to be, like, you know, as we have more information, there will be there will be more clarity, um, and it's unfortunate unfortunate that it's likely going to be through enforcement and not you know proactive uh, regulation um, or you know regulatory guidance. Um, and so I think like it's a little early, particularly with this one, to tell you know is is it really actually an argument as to whether it's a security or not, or is there something else kind of mechanically going on in the background? Because like in the in the you know NYDFS's case, right? I think they said that Paxos wasn't. Um, issuing it in a safe and secure manner. Yeah. Ryan, can you help me understand this? So how on earth is stablecoin a security? I mean, I know we can't obviously uh, answer that, but I how, how, like, what's the, what's the profit angle here? Because I know we, you and I spoke about this earlier, but yeah. what, what is your speculation? Yeah, I, I think if it pays income, I think it changes the your or, you know, pays some sort of yield that changes the equation pretty significantly. Now, these a lot of these projects don't. Right. And so that's where I think the counter argument comes in. And I know, Jason, you, you and I have had a conversation conversation about this as well. You know, feel free to chime in here. Um, but I think that, that that to me is like one of the biggest considerations when, you know, you're thinking about security versus not a security. Yeah, it, it's definitely nuanced. You know, and it it sounds almost like a uh, cop out to say that, but what I what I would say is there are prongs of the Howey test, and one of those prongs is whether or not uh, you anticipate um, benefiting earning income based on the benefit of uh, efforts of others as well. So the question is, if I have a stable coin and I deposit it into some protocol, I, I stake to a liquidity pool, for example. And I generate income. Is the stablecoin itself the source of the income, or is it the protocol that I'm staking to? So you could make an argument that the stablecoin is not, and that the utilization of the stablecoin, which is optional, is where the income could be generated from. And it's just a, a simple example. But I think the part of the part of the interesting angle for me is. What format would be appropriate to achieve the, the outcome of having a stable representation of a fiat unit and not be a security? And I, I, I think that where some jurisdictions around the globe are more progressive and have promoted, uh, created, and are cooperating with fintechs and startups and, and even more mature crypto companies in regulatory sandboxes, we're seeing that. Um, flourish. You know, we've talked a few times recently about different EU regulatory sandbox tokens, um, Singapore, same things. When when we think about this particular question, we don't yet know what the the issues are that they're, that are being investigated or being explored. As Ryan pointed out, what I, what I do think is interesting is that there's a Wells notice that was filed. It's not a lawsuit, so a company has the opportunity to respond in writing to make an argument for why there should not be a proceeding. Uh, we'll have to obviously read what was available around that information, but a, a representation of a fiat 
backed stable coin is something that we see all over the place. And I, I mean, different countries, even the US, there are other tokens or stable coins backed by fiat. Um, they haven't necessarily been uh, at this point deemed a security. So it does leave you questioning, you know, can we get some guidelines as opposed to just reacting to, uh, to um, news or, or, or enforcement? Um, yeah, J- Jason, you, you mentioned something that I think is key there is this story in particular, especially, is still developing. And we don't have all of the answers or clarity of what exactly the SEC is pointing to yet. Um, one of the big questions that I have is Paxos issues BUSD, as well as USDP, which is the non-Binance affiliated stablecoin that is just issued by Paxos. It's a lot smaller. I think BUSD is, it's over 10 billion. It's probably, I thought it was around 20 billion. I don't have the number. billion and, and the, the PAXD was something like 900 plus million. Yeah. So, so way different sizes, right? One is 5% of the size of the other. The question is, is the SEC looking at both of these stable coins and saying, we're looking at both of these and both of these are unregistered securities in our view, because I think that draws a much bigger concern around the whole stablecoin market versus if they're just looking at only BUSD and not USDP. And it has more to do with the, whether it's the Binance pegging mechanism or the affiliation there. Yeah. I, I, to my knowledge, I believe they're looking into BUSD, not the USDP. Which, that, that's not that must everyone should confirm that on their own. But I, I think that your comment about the Binance pegging mechanism is certainly an interesting one because we did see that Binance had come out and said that they had some uh, timing differences in reporting uh, on the status of that. So that might be a, an angle or a question area that they're focusing on. But I, I, I don't know. I believe at this point it is the BUSD token. And it, it may even be that Paxos, the USDP token could be a, a place where people convert uh, their BUSD tokens to. Yeah. And, and one maybe interesting note to add uh, before we end is if you look at the Curve 3 pool, which is like the biggest stablecoin pool, uh, it's DAI. USDC and of course DAI and USDC are sort of closely linked because a lot of DAI's backing comes from USDC. So uh and then there's uh Tether USDT. And what's happening right now is really interesting is you're seeing Tether being drained. So on a relative basis, people are sort of flowing from stable coins that are more sort of you have more of a US regulatory influence to a stable coin that has less of a U.S. regulatory influence because of some of these fears, because nobody knows are these unregistered securities or not. Um, and it's just interesting market dynamic. I mean, we've seen issuance of Tether over the past month or two increase on a relative basis to other stable coins, all sort of, at least we could speculate, somewhat related to some of what's happening right now, which is a, a, a bit interesting. It's, it's similar to the staking discussion, which is if you see enforcement on centralized U.S. domiciled staking entities or centralized U.S. domiciled stablecoin entities, then assets in these these markets, which don't have borders, will start to flow into different jurisdictions or under different regulatory regimes uh, because they're, you know, they're afraid of what the consequences are for those underlying assets. All right. 
this was a great conversation. Thanks. Uh, thanks guys. Um, and thanks everyone for joining and we'll, uh, we'll, we won't see you next week. Um, just as a reminder, as Jack mentioned, we have a, a pre-recorded session. So highly suggest that you check that out. Um, and then we'll see you in, again in a couple of weeks. Have a good rest of your week. Thanks. Digital assets are speculative and highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and are only for those investors willing to risk losing some or all of their investment and who have the experience and ability to evaluate the risks and merits of an investment. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any fidelity entity or any third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at the time and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or used by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trade marks appearing herein are the property of the respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023 FMR LLC. All rights reserved. 1040156.